Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a Pre-PT on your journey to becoming a future doctor of physical therapy. This episode has been sponsored by our Acceptance Navigator Series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or fear of PT school rejection. Learn how to get into the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This is the most value that we have given away and it's free. Take control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode has also been sponsored by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. Listen to this. One of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year when applying to PT school is not applying to schools that are a perfect match for them. Partnering with our friends at PT School Probe has made that a problem of the past. As PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to plug in and enter what you're looking for in your ideal schools, and you will be immediately matched up with your perfect match DPT programs in the United States. To get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school programs, go to www.ptschoolprobe.com, www.ptschoolprobe.com, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you there. That's PREPTGRIND for your code. This will save you hundreds of dollars in your application by helping you avoid throwing away money at the wrong schools and saving tens of thousands of dollars lost every year that you miss out on becoming a DPT. So go to www.ptschoolprobe, that's ptschoolprobe.com and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you. And that's because we got you covered and we are excited to share this next episode with you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast episode. We look forward to serving you. Have a blast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pre-PT Grind podcast, where we help you become the best pre-PT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brittany, and I'm one of the podcast directors. I'm very excited to be on here today because we have the founding dean of the Arkansas Colleges of Health Education, Dr. Teresa Brown, joining us to answer a few questions regarding their program. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking time out today to chat with me. So let's dive into the first question. In five minutes or less, tell us what led you to the profession of physical therapy. Yeah, so firstly, thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited to be here on PT Grind. So how I came to the profession, I think, is fairly similar to a lot of individuals, that I was a high school athlete, and I had my first kind of major injury at the age of 15. I tore my ACL playing basketball and found the field of physical therapy. I think the only thing that made my journey maybe a little bit different was I hated my first physical therapist. 
She was absolutely horrible. She made me cry. <laughs> and I like to think of myself as a pretty tough person. And it was an, a truly miserable experience. And after like begging and pleading to please don't, don't make me go to physical therapy, but my mom made me. <laughs> Good mom. And then after about a month or six weeks, something along those lines. So I was with this first PT for a fairly long time. And then she ended up leaving the practice. And I actually had another PT who was absolutely amazing. And I realized how just different personalities, even doing a lot of the same stuff, but the way that they engaged with me, the way that they kind of talked to me, explained things, that personal connection made such a huge difference in my rehab journey that that was kind of what first planted the seed of physical therapy for me. I always knew I wanted to do healthcare, was kind of thinking medicine because, you know, when you're 15 years old, you don't necessarily know what all the options are. And then just my personality, how I like to communicate with people, how I like to really be a part of them, get to know them. PT ended up being a great fit for me. And then, uh, so I went the pre-PT track in college. And then when I was a sophomore in college, I also tore my other ACL playing basketball and ended up back in physical therapy and kind of reaffirmed that this wasn't the profession for me. Great. That's really interesting because usually people will say that they just had a great experience. I would think that it would be something that would have pushed you, like put you off from the profession, but it's great that you found a good PT afterwards. Yeah, it was that dichotomy that I think really opened my eyes that, you know, physical therapy is one of those, one of the few healthcare professions that you actually have such a strong personal connection. And when I started thinking about it, you know, I'm, I'm a talker, I, I love to engage. And so just the idea of like, I hated the idea of, of medicine, right? You go in, you see your doctor for 10, 15 minutes, and then you don't see them again for six months or a year or whatever, you know, so that personal connection, being able to see my patients multiple times during the week or multiple days, depending on your practice setting, you know, that was kind of the selling point for me is it had all the, all the science, all the thinking, all the healthcare, but that strong personal connection that I don't think you can get in a lot of the other healthcare professions. That makes sense. I think that's the same thing that draws me to it as well. You get to build those relationships. On a great path, Brittany. So the next question is, so students put extra work into bettering certain parts of their application to be the best all-around applicant. Since every school values different aspects of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value the most or that catches your attention when seen on an application? Uh, yeah, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, all aspects of the application. And I think we are, like many programs, transitioning to, um, well, just a little background, actually. So Arkansas Colleges of Health Education, we are a new PT program. We are a developing program, so we are actually getting ready to enroll our charter class. So I think we got to be very strategic in our admissions process. That was one of the things that really drew me to starting a new program was being able to make those decisions. And so when we were developing our admissions uh, policies, procedures, if you will, we got to be very strategic and kind of look around what was happening in the field. And so we did craft a very holistic admissions process. And what that means, I'm sure you've heard that term quite a bit, holistic, is trying to look at factors of the entire applicant. So not just the GPA, um, not just the GRE. In fact, we actually got to do a couple really interesting things. So our admissions, we are only looking at the last 60 credit hours of GPA, so not the cumulative undergrad. And that was something that was really important to me because I think that 
far too often in PT education, we don't give individuals the opportunity to outrun their 18-year-old selves, right? And a lot of times we see students that start off their academic careers and it might be a little bumpy, either that transition into college, maybe they were working. A lot of times we see pre-PT students that were involved in athletics. Maybe they just had a little too much fun their freshman year. <laughs> you know, you never know. Maybe they shifted majors multiple times. So we wanted to craft admissions procedures that gave students the opportunity to demonstrate academic capabilities, but not be punitive for earlier transitions in life. You know, so we're looking at the last 60 credits, which is in a typical bachelor's degree, your junior and senior year. So again, what was that academic progression? We're also, if a student did master's work, we are taking that into consideration. That would be the most 60, recent 60 credit hours as well. So uh, I think that was one thing we did that was pretty unique. The other thing, we don't have a GRE requirement. And so then the other aspects of that, so moving away from just kind of the, the standard numbers perspective, the other things in the application we're really, really looking at are what are those other things that make you you? You know, our institution has a mission towards service and volunteerism. Okay, so is that something that you've, been active in? Do you do a lot of community outreach? You know, were you a college athlete? I think that that is uh, hugely telling of someone's capabilities. If you were a, you know, 3.2 student, but you played, participate in college athletics versus, you know, just think that that adds kind of a richness to who you are and, and how you can time manage things. Work experience. You know, I always joke that if I can make one requirement of PT school, this one, they won't let me, but I think everyone should work in the service industry at some point in time in their life. You know, I think if you've waited tables, you know, that's multitasking. That is uh, time management. That is customer service. That is working with a variety of different people. You know, so what are those other aspects that you're bringing to the table? And I think that that is really what we're getting at is trying to figure out what makes you you and are you going to be a fit with us? So you said that it was a brand new program. So the first mm -hmm. class is going to be next fall? Uh, we're actually a summertime start. So our first class will be starting June 1st. June 2021. For a student that visits the campus, there's a good chance they will only see so much of the campus or the program. What are some things that are unique about your program that a student would typically not see on a tour, but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? So this could be interprofessional opportunities, research components, or any form of teaching. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that make us unique. I think the first thing that is striking when you come to campus, and firstly, I will invite anyone that is in a driving radius to please come to campus. Uh, we can do individual tours. We just aren't able to do big group events right now, obviously. So I think the, the thing that's striking firstly, and, and I don't know if anyone listening is really great at geography, but we are located in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I am not from the middle of the country. I'm originally from Vermont. I spent 15 years in Boston and the last five years in Los Angeles, California. So the middle of the country was kind of a, a new thing for me. Fort Smith, Arkansas is located right on the border of Arkansas and Oklahoma. And we are four hours from Dallas, Texas. We are four hours from Memphis, Tennessee. We're two hours from Tulsa. We're two hours from Little Rock. We're four and a half hours from Kansas City. So it's just like this a really interesting area. Then you get here and you get to campus and we are located on 450 acres. So we are not just a, a building in the middle of a, a urban area. We are a huge sprawling campus and they are really creating a residential 
environment. So the idea is to kind of live, work, play. They're trying to, they're creating this academic corridor. So you get to campus and you have these giant, beautiful, sprawling buildings that are kind of truly breathtaking. We have residential housing for all students. Um, and I think the other thing is we are exclusively a graduate health science program. Okay, so it's only graduate students that are studying the health sciences. So I think that in its own right fosters a different type of community. And then, you know, kind of across the street, we've got some retail businesses. So we have some restaurants, we have a gym, we have a dry cleaners, we have a beauty salon. So it's really kind of designed to be everything you need on campus to be this truly residential living, learning community. So I think that feel is very different from going to other colleges and, and traveling around. Then from a programmatic perspective, I think some of the things that make us different, we do have research opportunities. So we do have a research thread throughout the curriculum that culminates in capstone experience where students will actually have the opportunity to do and conduct a research project alongside faculty members. We also have an on-site pro bono clinic. And I think that's probably from a curricular perspective, one of the most interesting things is that the pro bono clinic is in partnership with our community clinical sites. So basically it's focusing on individuals that need physical therapy, but either don't have insurance or they've already exhausted their insurance benefits through their insurance companies. So our clinical partners are actually our primary referral sites, and students will actually start in the clinic as early as the second semester of our program. So semester two, you actually start, obviously, under guided faculty mentorship, working with real patients. And so those first kind of six academic semesters that you're on campus, you're working with real patients in the clinic so that by the time you go out into your first full-time rotation, you know, you should be really, really comfortable with all those foundational patient interactions, as well as some of those skills, um, so that you can really maximize your learning from those full-time clinical rotations. Oh, and then the other one, uh, kind of interprofessional opportunities too. Um, because a lot of us are growing up together, and what I mean by that is that we're a fairly new college. The College of Osteopathic Medicine uh, took in their first class in 2017, okay? So just a few years ago, that first class is actually getting ready to graduate. Then they launched the second phase of our college, which is developing physical therapy, occupational therapy, and physician assistant. So the nice thing about that is when you're developing programs all at the same time, you get to be very strategic and thoughtful about how you're planning interprofessional activities. And so our class, they'll be coming in and there's a lot of, so our, our pro bono clinic, for example, is an interprofessional practice. So even in those early semesters, you're going to start to see what OT is doing. You're going to start to see what PA is doing. You're going to start to see what the, the DO students are doing and really figure out that language and how to work together. So I think it's really going to set our students up for success going out into the practice settings. I'm very excited. I actually took a look at the virtual tour. And if anybody gets a chance, I would say go on the website and look at the virtual tour because the campus is amazing, really. And I like that you have, you do have all these spaces for students to get together and to do these things. I really admired the Live and Learn Lab and mm -hmm. the Pediatric and Neural Lab. Yeah. Um, so just to speak to that a little bit, Brittany, because I think, you know, and I will say, if you would ask me literally even two years ago, if I thought I would ever be living in Arkansas, 
I would say that you were absolutely insane. Like, just to put it out there, like, I've only ever lived on a coast, you know, most of my life I've been in the Northeast. But once I kind of learned about this opportunity, I kind of got recruited a little bit. I had some conversations actually at conference, and then they, they brought me out here. And once I saw what they were doing and the resources and just the passion that everyone had towards the mission, like, it was one of these opportunities you, you couldn't say no to. And, and I think that that kind of speaks to some of the, the pieces that you saw on the tour. So I do encourage everyone, Arkansas Colleges of Health Education, 8edu.org, um, there is a virtual tour for the School of Physical Therapy. But we are a 66,000 square foot building, brand new, and our, our PT, OT, and PA. And it houses five different labs, as well as two traditional classrooms. And all of our labs are integrated, hands-on lecture space. So essentially, it's a giant lab, 4,000 square feet, and half of it is stadium-style seating, and the other half is your traditional mats. So you're able to kind of go back and forth and really have an active, you know, rather than just sitting for two hours of lecture straight and then being like, let's practice for 30 minutes, you know, you're allowed to move back and forth in kind of shorter bursts. Um, which we know from a kind of teaching learning perspective uh, makes more sense. And then some of those labs, as you were mentioning, are very specific towards populations. Um, so the Live and Learn Lab that Brittany mentioned is actually designed almost like a rehab hospital, but it has the physical space of a true kitchen, okay? a fully functioning kitchen with a washer, dryer, uh, two different types of stoves, tables, etc. We have two different bathrooms in there for teaching you to help people transfer in a home health environment or a rehab setting. We have two different types of beds in there. We have a car simulator. You know, so it's lots of opportunities for these kind of more unique practice areas that you might not be able to see in a, a typical, you know, mat lab. And then the, the pediatric neuro lab is just amazing. We worked with our occupational therapy uh, partners and just have some of the coolest toys for pediatrics that I've ever seen. So it's just been very, very exciting. And to be able to kind of thoughtfully build everything was probably, it was probably one of the most fun things I've gotten to do in a long time. You can tell it's like a labor of love. Like you really put in a lot of attention to the details. Thank you. I appreciate that. So for a student who's accepted into your program, and is there for the next three years, what kind of resources will you provide to put them in a position to help them succeed? So that would be tutoring, mentoring from other students or faculty mentors. So all students will have a faculty advisor that they'll meet with at strategic points throughout the curriculum. Eventually, they will have peer advisors as well that will be kind of the, the students in the later years of the program mentoring the younger, the incoming students. This first year with the charter class, we actually won't be able to have that, but we're working with kind of, I don't, I don't know the term for them yet, but we're working to try and develop some interprofessional groups with some of the med students, the MSB students, the PT and OT students, um, PAs starting a little bit later, so they're not it. Um, so that they'll have some type of peer support kind of moving through the program. And then we do have tutoring available as well. And eventually that will be same thing, upperclassmen tutoring the incoming class. For this first year, our tutors are actually coming out of the medical school. So we'll have tutors for anatomy and a lot of our foundational sciences, but they will be the medical students for the first year. But we do have tutoring available on site and it's, it's totally free. It's run out of our academic affairs department. Okay, so for a student who is applying for the program, what can they expect on the timeline of the decision? If your program conducts interviews or preview days, what can a student expect during the course of the day? 
Yeah, so in terms of timing, we are rolling admissions. Our application cycle is open right now and we are actually reviewing applications. So basically once you get us all your materials, the admissions committee meets essentially every two weeks, I believe, or every week right now and reviews all completed applications and then makes a decision to uh, invite for an interview. It's usually, we, we try and give students about a three to four week notice in terms of interviews. And then once you interview, it, it's basically, you'll find out within two weeks because we are rolling it is a fairly quick turnaround process. And then we're going to keep on interviewing until our, our class is full and, and we have a wait list. So actually our first round of interviews is actually this Friday. So that first group of students will actually begin getting notifications um, as to accept, waitlist, or, or decline, you know, really in that first week of November. How many students are you going to have in the first class? 40. Yep. So we're a class size of 40. Yep. And we are intending to stay that way. Oh, I think that there was one part of that question I didn't get to, and that was the interview or the preview days. And I will say, unfortunately, this year we've had to be a little more creative. We are doing all our interviews virtually um, because of travel restrictions. You know, obviously that, that kind of makes sense. So in my ideal world, students would come to campus and it would be a full half day that you get to know us and we get to know you. I really think that the interview process should be kind of collaborative and more conversational. I hate the questions like, do you know who Mary McMillan is? Or tell me about Vision 2020. Like, I, I hate stuff like that. You know, again, we want to get to know you. And I think you need to get to know the program that you're applying to because it's a three-year commitment, right? So in an ideal world, the interview day is an include a campus tour. You meet the president, you meet representatives from student affairs, you meet uh, other financial aid, um, you do have an interview, and then you have an opportunity to kind of get to know each other. And usually the, the lunch would involve students from some of the other programs to kind of tell you a little bit about the area, things like that. With COVID and the current situation, we had to streamline that a bit. So we are doing all virtual, as I said, and it's going to start off with me kind of giving an overview of the curriculum providing uh, the link to the virtual tour, things like that. And then it is our student affairs coming on to tell you a little bit about them, the Fort Smith area, financial aid is part of it. And then you'll go into your interviews and the interviews are, the interviews are small group interviews. So it's actually two prospective students interviewing with one faculty member and one community member. So for many students, they're going right from their undergraduate degree into their de graduate degree while others may have been non-traditional students, no matter what the case is, everyone may experience first day jitters. What can students expect on their first day or first week of classes in the program? Yeah, so I think that, you know, we tried to craft that first week. We, we know that that's part of it. And so in terms of our starting, we actually start June 1st, which is the day after Memorial Day. Um, so students have had the long weekend to relax when they come in uh, that Tuesday, um, Tuesday and probably the half day Wednesday. I haven't finalized the orientation schedule yet, but those first couple days are orientation where you'll get to know each other. We do a lot of activities to try and get you guys engaged as a cohort. You'll get to know other individuals from across campus, you know, IT, library, student affairs, all those key stakeholders that you might be involved in over those first couple of years. But I try and keep the interviews brief because I, I know that everyone is a little freaked out. So I want you to meet people. I want you to have face recognition, but I'm not necessarily going to have them go through like a two hour how to use the library workshop because no one's going to retain anything. 
<laughs> so that first day and a half is to kind of warm you up to campus. We do social events, again, orientation, things like that. And then we'll have about two days of getting into lectures that first week. And the reason why we try and keep it a little bit lighter is that way if it's just a day or two and something's not working, right? Maybe you don't have the resources that you need. You forgot to buy a book. Uh, your computer's having issues, you're still unpacking and super unorganized, then you have the weekend to kind of address some of those issues and, and align and get into the groove as you get into the heavier material. So we try and make that first week a, a, a transitional week, if you will. I think a lot of programs are, are, you know, trying to be conscientious about things like that. Yeah, we know that there are a lot of pre-PTs that have had a rough start to their journeys. I think you spoke on to this earlier and might have lower grades and find themselves in a situation where they decide to lock in later on their journey. At Pre-PT Grind, our mission is to help coach and guide students to take the correct course of action to ultimately get into PT school. For a student with a low GPA who wants to get into PT school, what do you recommend? I actually have a lot, lot on this one. So um, I think my first, my first piece of advice is obviously be strategic. Be very strategic. And I know that that's one of the things that PT Grind is trying to help students do. You know, but be realistic of where you are in your GPA and, and who you're applying to. And, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, does your school, does the school you're applying to do an interview? A lot of programs don't right now. And if they don't do an interview, that means they're relying solely on your numbers. Okay, so that is probably not going to be the best place for you to apply. You know, also, I encourage people to, okay, let me back up a little bit. I come from programs, I've worked at programs in Boston, and I've worked in programs in LA. And it's not uncommon for students to feel like they're geographically bound and apply to only the four Boston programs or only the six LA programs. Um, and I think that really does a disservice. So I do recommend casting the net wide. There are a lot of really amazing programs in the middle of the country that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily think about. And if you are applying to a program, like I'll use, but I mean, if you're applying to say like a USC, that's just a monstrous research heavy institution, okay, they're going to be less likely to go for someone that has a lower GPA. They're really going to be more academically driven. Um, I, I don't know that specifically, but I'm just using them as an example because they are such a research intensive institution. So go for those smaller teaching programs. I think also smaller programs are going to be more apt to look at kind of different characteristics. Again, the, if you are evaluating applicants, how you can evaluate them very, is very different if you are talking about 4,000 applications versus 400 applications. Okay, so kind of be thoughtful in that, where are you applying? Um, the other thing is kind of really be thoughtful of, are you supporting the institution's mission? Okay, and, and what I mean by that is that different programs are going to value different characteristics that you're bringing to the table. Okay, so example, you know, we're focused on volunteerism, rural health, community outreach is one of kind of our, our big pushes. Other programs might be religiously affiliated. They might have diversity initiatives. They might have geographical preferences for where they're recruiting their students. Okay, so I mean, try and match yourself to an institution that's going to be a good fit for you. And the other thing too, admissions requirements. There's a big difference of how you might make it to the table if you're talking about, does the program look at your cumulative undergraduate GPA or like we're doing, only looking at the last 60 credit hours. 
that's a huge difference right there of how you can might be able to make it to the table. I think it's fine. I kind of call this the Thomas rule. And he was a student that I had a few years ago and I was with the developing program. So we were going through and we had to evaluate all the applications by hand. This is actually one of my tricks. I don't know if most people know this, but a developing program the first year is not available on PTCAS. Our rules do not allow that. Okay, so any new program that you're seeing is not on PTCAS, so you're going to have fewer applications, and those programs have to evaluate the applications by hand. Okay, so that is one of my other kind of tips right there. Because again, the less competition you have, the less total applicants you have, you know, the more they need to evaluate kind of all those aspects. So I was with the developing program. We were doing, I was head of the admissions committee. We were evaluating all the applications. You have to do transcripts by hand. You have to calculate GPAs, all that kind of stuff. And I had this student that had his first semester of college. He had 16 credits, kind of a typical academic course load. And he had a 0.0 GPA. He failed every single course his first semester of college. That almost takes some effort, right? Right? That, 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 that's almost impossible. But when we started looking at the courses he was taking, you know, it was like introduction to fashion design, textile and merchandising. You know, he had clearly started off on a totally different track of wanting to be a fashion major. I don't care if he failed intro to fashion design. And so he ended up doing a lot, like, and you could tell, you know, he grew academically. He ended up this probably, I think you made it to like a 2.8 cumulative overall, but you can't outrun 16 credits of a 0.0. So, you know, that is why I'm really passionate about the last 60 credit hours, because I think it gives a little bit more flexibility. So again, if you're someone that doesn't have that cumulative GPA where you need it to be to be competitive, try and find some of these other programs that are doing slightly different admission standards, okay? Because it is going to increase your opportunities. I already mentioned kind of looking at developing programs and how you find that list is the CAPTI website. So you want to look at programs that are, that have the director hired, that have um, submitted their application. Okay. But so there are lists and you can see by geography kind of where they are. But again, I think at least, and I will say there's been talk that they're going to change this rule for next year, the next CAS cycle. But as of this year, any new program is not on that CAS system. Um, and then the last tip that I would have, if, you're, if you really even think with those last 60 credit hours, it still is not going to make you a competitive enough applicant, um, look at potentially doing a master's program. You know, and I will say at our institution, we established a one-year master's of biomedical science program. And because of the mission of our institution, it's actually priced at $5,000. So it's an incredibly affordable master's program, but we've aligned it so that it can be a direct uh, feeder program for either our school of DO, PT, or OT. So basically, if you make it through the master's program, you're guaranteed an interview to any of those programs. So there are institutions trying to do things like that as well. And I'll actually steal this quote from our, the chair of our master's of biomedical sciences. You know, his primary purpose with that program is to raise standards while lowering barriers. And so I think that's kind of one of the things our institution at least is trying to do.
Do you have any questions? I know I just rattled off so much stuff. <laughs> I really like the last thing you said about raising standards, lowering barriers. And just to kind of on that a little bit, because I think all of our programs um, at our institution are trying to do that. So for PT, what we did, our prereqs, we have nine courses rather than the average is usually about 12 to 14. Again, the last 60 for the GPA, um, I think is a big one. And then we have no GRE and no observation hours. Because again, I think that those are just unnecessary obstacles that don't actually correlate to success in the PT program. I think this year it's been hard for some people to find observation hours. So that would be definitely a benefit. Yeah. And, and truthfully, I mean, if a, a program is not willing to work with you in terms of waiving some of those observation hours with everything that's going on, you have to really question that at this point in time. So tying everything together, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to any applicant during their pre-PT journey? I do really encourage people to look for fit, right? You know, three years is a long commitment and it's a long time to be at an institution that you know, you don't necessarily fit with. So you might have to be strategic. Again, you might have to look a little bit more, maybe search a little differently, but you want to make sure that you are at a program that you are going to thrive and is going to meet your needs. And I think sometimes, you know, particularly if you didn't get into programs the, the first time you applied, you know, I've, I've had students that have applied, you know, four cycles or five cycles before they got in. Don't get desperate. You know, and I think that would be kind of my takeaway is still make sure that you are looking for a program that is going to meet your needs as a student um, as you are going into this process. Because I think sometimes people take an offer of, accept an offer at a school that maybe they aren't going to be a good fit at. Maybe it's a, a very research intensive institution. Maybe it's a hybrid model and that's not really how they learn best. You know, maybe it is an on-ground model and they need more flexibility than that in, in their schedule. So I, I think just be, still be very strategic and very thoughtful and look for a good fit for you. That seems like pretty good advice. And do you have any questions for me? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I know I got to know a little bit about you before we started recording. So I guess I would just encourage anyone that hears this podcast that might have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. So my email is teresa.brown at aikedu.org. Or you can just search Arkansas Colleges of Health Education and I'm pretty easy to find. Again, I encourage you to look at our virtual video because although Arkansas may not be the top of your list programs that you're applying to, I will say I think we're doing something pretty amazing here. And so I think it's worth a little looky look. So that actually wraps up all the questions I have for you. And I want to thank you again for chatting with me. Thank you. What is up, guys? You've been listening to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast, where we don't just help you get into PT school, but our mission is to make you the best physical therapist you can possibly be. And I have a quick question for you. Did you enjoy this episode? And if you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow, and that will spread our message helping pre-PTs get into physical therapy school without wasting time and money, is if you rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind. What this basically does is tell the platforms out there that we're on is that you like our stuff, that we're doing something right, and that we're bringing value to you all our audience. So if you could take about three seconds out of your day to rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind podcast, 
and tell your friends about Quirky to Grind. We would be forever, forever grateful to all of you. So thank you again for listening to another episode of the Creepy to Grind podcast. We will see you on the next one.